what is, uh, who is Holy Spirit and what is uh, his agenda? Who is Holy Spirit and what's his agenda? Because he does have an agenda, and I want you to understand what that agenda is, and I think it's important for us to understand what that agenda is. Um, I'm just going to skip over that. So who is the Holy Spirit? Well, uh, first thing we have to understand is that God is a triune God. Everybody say triune. Now, I had a Jehovah's Witness say to me once, you know that the word Trinity is not even in the Bible, and I said, you're right, it's not. And they thought they had me, that I was going to have to capitulate and give up the whole doctrine of the Trinity because the word's not in the Bible. And uh, I said, that's right, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, but, but God manifest as three in one is throughout the Bible. And if you look in the Old Testament, the, the, the most common word used to describe or name used to describe God is Elohim. And that's a, a plural word. El is a singular word, as in El Shaddai, uh, you know, uh, El Rofe, all the different El gods, configurations that they have to describe the nature of God. But the most common word is Elohim, which is a plural word. It's the word that was used in Genesis describing creation, where, in fact, it says, let us, everybody say us, make man in our image, our image. It's a, it, those are all plural words that were used in describing the very nature of of God. And yet God says, I am one. And so you see throughout scripture, this, this understanding of three in one. Um, I'm glad that we can't completely nail it down and understand the mystery of it all, because if we could, then that makes us almost equal uh, in intelligence with God. And in this limited form that I walk in today, I'm not quite there. Everybody say, not quite there. Bible says we're close, but we're not quite there. Do you know what I'm saying? And, uh, and so the reality is, is that he, there are aspects of his nature that are a little beyond our complete comprehension. But we do know this, that it's God manifests three in one, and we see that nature at Jesus' baptism, right? Jesus is there uh, in the flesh, incarnated. He's being baptized in water. And then we see the Spirit of the Lord descending like a dove. And then we have a voice from heaven speaking, This is my Son, whom I love. In him I'm well pleased. Right? So you see all three uh, manifestations of the nature of God evident in one story uh, with the story of Jesus Christ's baptism. And so uh, here we have to understand the Holy Spirit shares all of the same attributes that the Father and the, the Son uh, share. So everything that is true of the Father, everything that is true of the Son is also true of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, omnipotence, omniscience, uh, omnipresence, immutability, in other words, he doesn't change, right? Eternality, always there, always being. Uh, infinite, having no beginning, no end. I mean, the nature of Holy Spirit is the same as the nature of the Father or the nature of the Son. And so you cannot uh, talk about Holy Spirit without talking uh, about the, the divine nature of Holy Spirit. But there's some other things, some other words that are used to describe Holy Spirit and that I, I think are important for us as well. These are some of the ones I found in Scripture. And uh, Holy Spirit has a mind, right? The mind of the Spirit the Bible speaks of in Romans chapter 8, 27. Holy Spirit has a will. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit having a will in 1 Corinthians 12, 11. Holy Spirit teaches uh, us, John 14, 26. Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we're the sons of God, the Bible says in John 14, I mean Romans 8, uh, 16. Holy Spirit speaks, Revelation 27. Holy Spirit reveals, 2 Peter 1, 21. Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians chapter 4, 30. Holy Spirit can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. 
Holy Spirit can be blasphemed. You see, all of these things are, tell us that the Holy Spirit's not a force. Holy Spirit's not a power. Holy Spirit is a person. In fact, most of the time when I speak of Holy Spirit, I don't put the article in front because Holy Spirit's not just a title. Holy Spirit is a being. So a lot of times people uh, tend to objectify Holy Spirit by putting the article the in front of it, say the Holy Spirit. But I tend to say Holy Spirit as opposed to that because, you know, not that it's improper to say the Holy Spirit, just as you would say the Son or the Father. But when I'm praying, I don't say to, I don't go, oh, the Father. I say, oh, Father, right? Do you understand what I'm saying? So uh, they're not just titles, but they're also descriptors of their essence and their being and, and their nature. And so I, I tend to use the word without the article, but you can use it either way. But the pro- point is that these are all aspects of personhood, not of a force, not of a power. And we tend to uh, sometimes look at Holy Spirit like it's a divine power. And Holy Spirit's not a divine power. Holy Spirit is a person of the Godhead, right? Not meant to be turned into some kind of, use the force, Luke, use the force, right? And, and we tend to many times be guilty of, of speaking of Holy Spirit as though Holy Spirit is just some kind of life force that exists in the cosmos that you can tap into and manipulate, yada, yada, yada. Not the case. Someone say Amen. And, uh, you know, the scripture uh, is so plain about that. Names by which the Holy Spirit is identified, uh, comforter, uh, spirit of promise, spirit of truth, spirit of grace. Uh, These are all uh, titles that are given to Holy Spirit within scripture. So I'm sorry if I went through that rather quickly, but um, if you would like uh, copies of this or whatever afterwards, just see me and I'd be happy to give you this stuff this morning. So then we get down to this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This thing the Pentecostals are all known for. Jesus introduced Holy Spirit in John chapter 16, verse 7. Listen to what he said. I tell you the truth, he said, it is, good for, uh, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, Jesus said. And then in, uh, further in verses 13, 14, he says, But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So see, now the comfort of the Spirit is going to come, and he's going to reveal truth. He's going to take what is of Christ, and he's going to impart it to the disciples. And Jesus is setting it up for Holy Spirit to be able to have uh, ministry through the church of Jesus Christ. And then uh, after the resurrection, Jesus reaffirmed the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. It says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus was preparing the disciples for the opportunity to experience and walk in Holy Spirit. Does everybody see that in the scripture? All right? And, uh, and then we get the infamous day of Pentecost. Everybody say day of Pentecost. Anybody know why it's called the day of Pentecost? Mark, why is it called the day of Pentecost? Yeah, you put your hand up. (laughs) Did you really know or were you just pretending you knew? Which one was it? 50 days after the Passover. That's right. The celebration of 50. That's all it is. So if you're wondering if it has some kind of, 
mean, no, no, it just means the, the celebration of 50, 50 days after the Passover, 50 days after the Lamb of God was sacrificed on our behalf, we have the day of Pentecost. And that's, you know, uh, pent meaning five, and cost meaning 10, we have the celebration of 50. All right, has everybody got that? No, not some really big, you know, it's not like some supernatural divine word. It, is, it was a feast that was in the Jewish calendar, and it happened to be on that feast in which the Holy Spirit was poured out, the day of Pentecost. So we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 6, is when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, that's an account of what happened on the day of Pentecost. The Bible talks about some pretty freaky stuff that took place on the day of Pentecost. You know, uh, cloven tongues of fire, mighty rushing winds, uh, and then everybody who was there witnessing, somehow seeing this, because they were in an upper room, so it must have gotten pretty wild for people who were there for the celebration of Pentecost to actually witness it. It had to have been quite the camp meeting. Are you hearing me? Uh, it didn't get contained in the little upper room. It, it overflowed out of that place and those who were there celebrating the feast together, and if you read on the book of Acts, it talks about all the different nationalities that uh, were Jewish proselytes. In other words, people from other nations who'd become Jews and had come there to celebrate the feast all witnessed this phenomenon happening and all heard the gospel presented as they spoke in tongues. They heard it in their own language. This is quite an amazing story, right? One of the, one of, one of the favorites in Scripture. How many know that? And, uh, and, and this uh, was basically the day that give, gave birth to the church of Jesus Christ. Because after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we know Peter got up and preached, and thousands came to Christ, right? And uh, Peter had to preach that favorite sermon where he says of describing the church, the crazy people that were speaking in tongues, he had to say, these men are not what? Drunk, as you suppose, but they are filled with the Holy Spirit, as was promised in the Scripture. And then he, he you know, quotes to them the Old Testament prophecies and preaches them the gospel and then calls them to repentance and people get saved. And the church was born. Pretty cool stuff, right? That was the day of Pentecost. Yeehaw! It was an amazing day. An amazing day. And... Uh, it is, it is a day uh, to be remembered because, like I said, it's the day that the church was born. And what was the message, basically, that Peter preached? One of the things that I think is important, in this day and age, many people say, well, the Holy Spirit was just for the birth of the church. The day of Pentecost, great story. But that was then, this is now. It was just for then, has nothing to do with now. But that goes against the very sermon that Peter preached and if you listen, read through the whole story and you get to the end of Peter's sermon, this is what Peter had to say. It says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So here he's saying to everybody else that's there, you'll receive it just like we received it, right? So repent, 
come to Christ, be baptized. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit just like we received it. But then he goes on, he says something very interesting. He said, for the promise is to you, everybody read this, and your children and to all who are far off as many as the Lord God will call. It wasn't just for the day of Pentecost. I mean, Peter makes that abundantly clear in his sermon. He gets to the end of it and he says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. Afar off, he wasn't talking just geographically. He was talking generationally. As far as you can see into the future or into the distance, this promise is for them as well. Amen? This promise is for me. This promise is for you. This promise is for my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. There is no end to this promise. And it will not end. The promise will not end, will not be retracted, will not be pulled back until Jesus comes again. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad this morning? Promises for everyone. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, let's get to the part that's controversial, all right? In the eight minutes we have left, let's get to the controversial part, all right? Let's get in trouble. All right, here we go. How is the Holy Spirit received? The same way as salvation, by grace through faith. That's how you receive it. You don't receive it by memorizing tapes and imitating somebody here on a tape, right? You don't, you don't receive because you're better than everybody else. You don't receive because you, your list of good outweighs your list of bad. You receive by grace, through faith, just like salvation. Someone say amen. All right, there's no other qualifier. There's no other thing that puts you there. There isn't two classes of believers or anything else like that. We receive the same way we receive everything from God. By grace... Through faith. Didn't earn it. Get it by faith. Someone say amen. amen. That's how we receive it. So, what are some other significant factors on the day of Pentecost? Well, they were all united and all in one accord. So if you want to know what is a conducive atmosphere to receiving Holy Spirit. Well, they were all united in one accord. They were tarrying. That's a wonderful King James word that simply, if you read the NIV, says waiting. Everybody say Waiting. They were waiting in prayer. Uh, they were obedient. You know, Jesus had appeared and told them to go wait, right, in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. And because they were obedient, because they actually were there and they gathered and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed, they were evidencing faith. They were expecting something to happen. That's why they didn't give up after an hour or two hours or half a day. There was faith. So they continued to wait because they had faith that God was going to do something. When was the last time you actually waited in prayer until you received? You know, sometimes we say we have faith, but if it doesn't happen like a microwave, then we just give up. No, we need to learn to stand, like Tom said and Sherry, and the, we need to stand in faith and stay there and refuse to be moved until you receive. Hello? Am I making any sense to anybody? Tom, am I making sense this morning? All right, thanks. Appreciate that. All right. If Tom thinks I'm making sense, then I'm doing all right. Here we go. So how do you know when you've received? This is where it gets a little fun. Well, people, 
classical Pentecostals have said for years, tongues. Yeah, tongues, initial evidence. When we, we used to joke around that when we went with our, for our interview for our credentials at, at Eastern Pentecostal Bible College, it was, it was called back then, uh, that when you went to your credential interview, whatever question they asked you, just, just say, yeah, tongues, initial evidence, yeah, tongues. You know, <laughs> how old are you? Tongues, initial evidence, tongues, you know. Uh, just, just answer that and you'll get your credentials. Uh, and, you know, and so if you read through the book of Acts, there are five historical accounts in the book of Acts where people were filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, in chapter 2, 8, 9, 10, and 19. Uh, in three of them, it specifically says that they spoke with other tongues and or that they prophesied. In two of them, it does not. All right? The two where it doesn't is Simon the sorcerer, right? The story of Simon the sorcerer where uh, he had witnessed the ministry of Philip, he'd seen people getting healed, he'd seen people getting delivered from demons and stuff, but then Peter shows up preaching the gospel, he see and prays for people, they receive the Holy Spirit. Simon sees something that he'd not seen before, and he tried to buy the power to, re- to, to pray for people that they'd receive the Holy Spirit. And of course, remember, Peter says, may your money perish with you for thinking you could buy the gift of God, right? So Pentecostals would say, what did... What did Simon see that he hadn't already seen? He saw tongues. And the other one is Paul's conversion. When Paul was converted, it says that he received the Holy Spirit, but it doesn't say there that he spoke in tongues. But we all know that Paul, in his own letter, said, I'm glad that I speak in tongues, what? More than you all. So was Paul a tongue talker? Yes. And so, you know, so classical Pentecostals would say, there it is. It's right there. That's it. However, however, what happens is the classical Pentecostals turn it into a, a proof. And I don't think it was ever meant to be a proof. Classical Pentecostals say, well, if you haven't spoken tongues, then you're not filled with the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and they turn it into a proof. And I don't think it was ever meant to be a proof. It was instead to be a beautiful provision for your life. God never wants us to use his, his gifts and the things that he's given us as something to prove one thing and exclude another. He wants us to, to walk in it and live in it and experience it and not use it to cause anyone else to feel like they're on the outside looking in. If someone comes to me and says, oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, uh, you know, but I've, I, I've never prayed in tongues, I'm not going to say, well, then you're not baptized. I'm just going to say, well, you know what? You, you should really ask God to give you that gift because it's phenomenal to be able to have an authority in prayer that comes from praying on the Holy Spirit. You don't, you don't use it to browbeat people. You use it as an opportunity, right? I tell people all the time, it's like, like so many things in the kingdom. They're not obligations, they're opportunities, right? It's not an obligation, it's an opportunity. You know, being baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's not an obligation, it's an opportunity for you to experience even more of what God has for you. Isn't that awesome? That's what it is, and that's what God intended it to be. And so people say, well, what's the evidence then? Well, I say, well, I guess the only evidence that, that is concrete in Scripture is, you know, Galatians 5, 22, 23 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. So if you're walking in the Spirit, then the, those are the fruits. Love, joy, peace, these are the things that are going to be evident in your life. But like the Apostle Paul, I'm glad that I can say that I, I speak in tongues more than, maybe not all, but certainly more than a lot. Why? Only because I need to. Because when I know not how to pray, I pray in the Spirit. Right? That's a slam dunk for me. When I don't know how I should be praying, then I say, Lord, help me. And I begin to pray in the Spirit. And I find that my spirit begins to pray. Even if my mind, as Paul said, is unfruitful, my spirit prays. 
and makes intercession for me. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning? So, here's the thing. All right, let me just move on here. We have to ascertain then, what, what is the purpose? What is the agenda then of Holy Spirit? Is it just so that you can pray in tongues and feel better and be edified? And the scripture does say that when a person prays in the, in the spirit, they, they edify themselves, that you're built up. But when you prophesy, you edify other people. I mean, that's scriptural. Nothing wrong with that, getting built up in the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing, amen? But what's ultimately the purpose of Holy Spirit being given to the church? What is the Holy Spirit's agenda? It's the Great Commission. Matthew chapter 28, Mark chapter 16. Go into all the world and preach the gospel, making disciples. Making disciples. The Holy Spirit has come to help us to get the job done. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will be my what? Witnesses. You'll receive power and you'll become my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The purpose, the agenda, if you will, of the Holy Spirit is to be given to you so that you can be a witness for Christ, a better witness than you could be without his help. Holy Spirit's purpose, his, his motivation is to take you into a place in him where you can effectively make disciples. So if you are a tongue talker, then be a disciple maker. Because Christ has given you this power uh, through Holy Spirit so that you can make disciples. Not just feel better. Make disciples. Everybody say, make disciples. It's about making disciples. That's why we have received Holy Spirit. It's about making disciples. <clears throat> and we lose so much when we lose sight of the fact that we've been called to make disciples. You know, one of the things that causes me great consternation is that disciple-making is so low on Christians' priority list. It's, it's about feeling good. It's about uh, being blessed. It's about so many things, and, and nothing wrong with any of those things. But it's supposed to be about making disciples. If this journey you're walking is so great, why don't you want other people to walk it too? <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? If you're blessed, don't you want other people to be blessed too? Or are you thinking like a, a liberal? Well, I'm sorry. I'm not, I don't mean politically. I mean ideologically. Uh, not speaking about parties per se. But the liberal mindset is, the, the left-wing mindset is, is that economics is a, is a fixed pie. And if one person gets a bigger piece of the pie, it means somebody else is getting a smaller piece of the pie. Have you ever studied any economic theory? And yet, from a conservative financial mind, mindset, the pie is always growing. So if one person's getting a larger piece of the pie, that means that another piece, person's piece can grow as well. And if you look historically, that's true, because the economy of Canada, measured in billions of dollars, is not the same today as it was in 1967. It's constantly growing, right? Right? Just, it's growing like this. 
And so the fact that what my piece of pie may grow doesn't mean that somebody else had to get poor for mine to grow. You see what I'm saying? I'm like, are you hearing me? But I think sometimes we think in the kingdom the same way. If, 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 if so-and-so gets blessed, it means I'm getting less blessing. No, my goodness, no. If any economic place, it's not like that. It's the kingdom of God. If, if I'm being blessed, everybody can be blessed. We can all be blessed. We can all grow together. Amen. We can all be bigger tomorrow than we are today. We can all have greater uh, blessing tomorrow than we have today. We can all grow in him. And so disciple-making is about helping other people get to that same walk of joy and blessing that you're walking in. Why would we not want that for people? And, they, and, and if, if they're blessed, it doesn't mean I'm being blessed less. No, in fact, blessing is one of those things that the more I share it, the more it grows. Right? The more I share my blessing, the more my blessing grows. That's why the Bible says, give and it will it'll be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, what? Right? Kingdom principle. It's not a limited piece of pie. And so as people who believe in the, in, in the work of Holy Spirit in our lives, we should be the greatest disciple-making machine on planet Earth. Every one of us should have three or four people that we're pouring into every week. You want to really know what power of the Holy Spirit's about? That's what it's about. You need to have people in your life that you're pouring into to the degree where a year from now, they're doing the same thing in somebody else. Do you know how fast the whole world comes to Christ if every believer on earth today disciples two people and then next year those two people disciple two people? Literally, the entire world would know Jesus in less than two decades. powerful it's powerful if you want to do an exercise that shows you how powerful it is go home there's 64 squares on a chessboard right if someone said i'll give you a penny on day one and i'll double it every day for 64 days or i'll give you a million dollars which one would you take take the penny go home and do the math and you get home one cent two cent four cent eight cent right 16 cents and you just start doubling it every day, by the time you get done 64 times that, you got a lot of money. It's the same way with people. All it takes is for us to receive Holy Spirit and to take that power that he gives us and translate it into making disciples, of taking people on a journey with Jesus Christ. It takes investment. It takes time. That's why I'm saying it takes at least a year of investment in someone to bring them to, to, to a place where they're going to be able to replicate it. And you may have to invest them the rest of your life. But if everybody does it, I mean, and does it to the point where that person that they've done it with can do it, it doesn't take any time at all until the whole world knows Jesus. And that's why growth becomes explosive. That's why the New Testament church took off. It wasn't just because there were healings and miracles. It's because they took discipleship the power to make disciples. They took a hold of it from the Holy Spirit and they made disciples wherever they went. And the church grew. And people were added to their number daily who were getting saved. Everybody say daily. 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 Stay with me this morning.
There are lots of places you can go and find church growth strategies, things you can do to grow the church, different ways you can do your music, different ways you can comb your hair, different ways you can dress. You know, if I could grow a beard, I could grow a little stubble millennial beard and I could, you know, put my hair in a ponytail and look really hip. You know, I'd still have gray eyebrows though, so it probably wouldn't help me too much. But, you know, the reality is that we grow the church by making disciples. It's just not any more complicated than that. And if you're saying to me this morning, I don't have time to make disciples, then it's time to reorder your life. It's just as simple as that. It's just no more complicated than that. If you don't have time to make disciples, then you have to take a look at your life and say, God, what do I have to give up so I have more time to make disciples? And you can make disciples at work. You can make disciples where, you know, in your, in your sports or whatever hobbies you have. You can make disciples anywhere. But if you're not, if you don't have the time to make disciples, then your life is too busy with things of this world and not things that are focused on the kingdom. And you don't have to make 100 disciples. Just pick two. Just pour into two people. Even two. This year. Just pour into two. And if you pour into two, my goodness, that's awesome. And even if you, you, know, you pour into them for a few years and they're the only two people you pour into, if you pour into the place where they can do the same thing, that's discipleship. And now they're doing the same thing. And then the people they pour into are doing the same thing. And so on, and so on, and so on. Making disciples. The Holy Spirit has come to give you the power to make disciples. Here in Belleville, in Ontario, in Canada and to the ends of the earth. That's our mandate. Amen? And he's given us the power to do that. Father, how we need the Holy Spirit. Because I can't make disciples on my own. Sure, I've got a story of you saving me. I've got a story of your power and your deliverance. I've got all kinds of stories, but I need those stories to have a power on them, an anointing on them, so that, Lord, when I share them with other people, something happens in their heart, and they desire what you have done in me. Father, we need that power in our lives, and so today we are hungry for Holy Spirit. We're saying, Father, would you baptize us in Holy Spirit so that we have that power to be able to make witnesses, uh, be witnesses and to make disciples everywhere that we go. Uh, Father, you've called us to be a disciple-making people. And Lord, uh, help us if we are too busy, Lord, if we've got so much going on in our life that we don't have time to sit and disciple somebody, that Lord, help us to weed things out so that we can focus on what's really important, making disciples in Jesus' name. Father, every believer is called to make disciples. Everyone, not just a few, everyone. And Father, would you help us to be uh, your people making disciples everywhere that we go? Father, we need your help. We need the Holy Spirit. We need Holy Spirit so that we can make disciples. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 How many this morning want to make disciples? Let me see your hands. Come on. Want to make disciples? Then I'm going to encourage you to, to passionately pursue Holy Spirit because Holy Spirit wants to empower you to be able to make disciples. Lord bless you. Time's got away. It's already quarter two. Uh,
Yeah, uh, any new people last six months? We got lunch down the other end. And the kids unit, just follow Pastor Mark. Mark, wave at everybody. Mark, wave. They're going to follow you down to the kitchen to get, I mean, to the kids unit to get some lunch. Lord bless you. 